not going to spend a huge amount of time this morning, but I uh, wanted to finish off and round off. If you remember, a couple of weeks ago, probably four weeks ago, I shared on the fact that um, Stephen was being stoned uh, by the religious leaders of the time. And in that moment, he was able to respond like Jesus. He was able to look up into heaven. He was able to see Jesus standing. And I asked this question. I'm going to ask it again. What are you doing in your life that causes Jesus to stand? Because remember, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. But in that moment, Jesus stands to honor what Stephen's doing. And then he responds and he says, Father, do not withhold this sin against them. How does he in that moment, getting pelted with stones, respond like Jesus? And I went through and I showed how the attributes of God are displayed in his glory. Because when Moses said to Jesus, when Moses said to Jesus, really, when Moses said to the Father, show me your glory, the thing that God showed him was his character. I am compassionate. I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in love. I forgive wickedness, rebellion, and sin, etc., etc. And then I exhorted all of us that the only way that we can display the attributes of God is to spend time with the one who has those attributes so that we can display that to the world that desperately needs it. And then God led me down a path around the fact of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' first sermon, a really important sermon because this is his, the inauguration of his ministry. And there's so many people that he has to go up onto a mountainside and he starts to preach to them and he starts off and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are merciful. And he puts all of these blessings down. They will inherit the kingdom of God. And then what happens is, is he gets to this place where he gets to what I preached on two weeks ago was salt and light. And he says the following. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before men and to, for others, that they may see your good deeds and that they may glorify your Father in heaven. And so when I looked at this, I thought, okay, so that dovetails exactly with what I would preached on a few weeks ago. And I preached on how we can become salt. And the only way we become salt is we receive the light from the Father, and that creates a saltiness in us to be salt to the earth. And then Louise preached last week on the importance of salt. Salt was a currency in that day. So when we read this as kind of uh, 2016 westernized Christians, we go salt. I mean, we... All of us have got that on our dinner table. So we don't really see it as all that valuable. We can, a couple of bucks, we can get some. But that's where the word salary comes from. So imagine if rather we, instead of saying, well, go and be the salt to the earth, go and be the salary to the people around you. We all know, we, I don't know about you, but I haven't received my December salary yet. So I'm going, okay, when's it coming? When's it coming? We've got Christmas, we've got presents, we've got ever. And there's an anticipation that when it hits the bank account, hopefully you've got enough rope at the end of your month to be able to use it. But the point that I'm trying to say is that when we understand salary, we understand provision, that was what salt was. The Roman soldiers were paid in salt. And so when we start to understand what Jesus is trying to say, and I gave them the, the whole understanding of what light and salt was last week. So if you want to go, go into SoundCloud and listen to it. But this morning what I wanted to do was I got a bit confused because as I started to read further, it says here in, in Matthew 5.17, it says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or to abolish the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but I've come to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass or disappear, not the smallest letter, not the smallest stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So you kind of think, and we've been through a, a, probably about two decades of the church coming into a place of, hey, it's about grace, it's not about law. But here Jesus is saying, no, no, hold on a second. Not one iota. Now, if you know the, the Greek um, uh, letter, letter alphabet, 
Iota is the eye that we know of. That's what it's called. It's called an iota. So they're saying not even the dots on that little eye will pass away from the law until everything is fulfilled. So you kind of go, okay, Jesus, you, you're kind of a little bit confusing me here. And then he says, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom. But we will under grace, aren't we? And then he says, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of God. For I tell you, that unless the right, your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And remember, the Pharisees and the teachers of those days, they did everything. They even tithed out of their spice rack. Imagine that in a moment, going through your time and your coming and your, you know, your rosemary, and taking a tenth, and making sure you've got a tenth, and weighing it, and tithing on that. I mean, they were religious to the nth degree. And yet Jesus is saying to us, unless we surpass that righteousness, we will not inherit. And then he goes on, and he starts to describe this whole thing, and we've heard this many times, and we, 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 they call it the Sermon on the Mount, where he starts to say, you have heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, do not even stay angry with your brother. And he gives the whole process. Then he says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, do not even look at a man lustfully. Okay, I was just seeing if you guys were awake. We know how you women look at us lustfully. So stop it. Stop it. And then in verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. No, but I've, I've just told you. I've just gone here in verse 16. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. Well, well, hold on. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will not get your reward from your Father in heaven. I'm going, okay, Lord, did I, what I've just preached is what is a heresy over the last few weeks. So what's all this about? How do one minute God is saying, display this to the world. The next minute he's going, no, no, do it in secret. So hopefully I can explain some of what it is. Like I said last week, Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the earth. It says it five times in the New Testament. Romans, Revelation, Acts, and there's a few others. Okay, so hold on a second. What is your understanding of Christianity? Okay, so God made us as human beings. And then he went, oh my goodness, Steve sinned. Okay, it was Adam, but Steve's a good example. Great example. We're all great examples. Oh my goodness, what do I do? God's so surprised by our sin. And then he goes to his son, Jesus, and says, Jesus, what do we do? Actually, you know what? We've got a, I've got a suicide mission for you. Are you keen? Okay, so why don't you go to earth, die the most horrific death with these people, and save them. But you know what? Not everyone's going to accept you anyway, so really we're not in control of what's happening, so what's the point? Is that your understanding of Christianity? But if we stop for a moment and we say, no, Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the earth. So before you were even born, before you even thought of by your parents, before your parents were born, before your parents, 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 parents were born, Jesus was crucified. So why did Jesus have to come and be crucified here on earth 2,000 years ago? Because he had to demonstrate that which had already happened. <laughs> so this morning, and I said this last week too, but I want to reiterate it because it's important. At 9.30, did we enter into worship? 
Well, hopefully not. Hopefully we didn't rely on Dale for us to enter into worship. Hopefully we understand that worship has been existing <laughs> throughout the ages. And what we did at 9.30 was we stepped into it. We became aware of God. We became aware of the angelic host worshiping God, and we stepped into it. It brings about a totally different concept of our understanding. That no matter how good Dale was, and he was brilliant this morning, thank you, Dale, we can still step into it. Whether he played in the right key or not. Look, it's helpful when he sings that well and does what he did this morning. But is that all what we're looking for? Or can we step into worship? Because it always existed and has always been there. So it's not about whether you're just going to go to heaven when you die. It's about whether or not the kingdom of God exists right now and you are moving in it, you are stepping into it as we go. I want to ask you this question. If heaven invaded your life right now, today, what would survive? If heaven invaded your life like it should and you allow it to, what would survive? And I said last week, heaven, well, this whole process and what God is doing, it's not about evacuation. <laughs> okay, Jesus died, let's get to heaven. No, it's about occupation. And I shared this morning in the, from the scriptures from Isaiah, and it's Isaiah um, 9 verse 6, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a child is given, for the government will be upon his shoulders. So what is all that about? We, we're celebrating Christmas in the next couple of weeks, but what is it? The government. So there's a rulership. We are not called to come and simply exist. We are called to come and live and to rule and reign in this life and to impact this world. And that's what God is calling us. That is Jesus is calling us to, is to impact this world. But here's the thing is the world, when you want to look at this, the world coerces us. The world manipulates because it says, I've got a gun and a badge. Do what I tell you to do. And in fact, I've got a jail as well if you don't. I got a message this morning from our, our uh, Boomdorf area saying that, and I don't know whether it's true, and maybe someone can confirm it here, that if you get caught on your cell phone over this period, there's a two and a half thousand rand fine. They will confiscate your phone and you have to pay that money to get your cell phone back. Secondly, if you are caught, um, what was the other thing? Oh, if you're caught without your driver's license, they will take you to jail and you will have to pay a thousand rand and, sh and show your driver's license before they'll let you out. Now, I look at that. Now, one, one minute I go, okay, is that even legal, first of all? But you see what happens is this. So now what we do is we come and we coerce people to do what they should be doing. And we manipulate them through the badge and through the gun and through the power that we have. But actually, it should not be through intimidation. What Jesus is calling us to hear is not about that. He's saying, do not rule and reign through manipulation, power, and coercion. Now, I know as parents we do that because we have no other option at times. Which is not true. But Jesus said, no, come, I came to serve. And so what we do is God has called us to rule and reign through our servant-heartedness. And what that is, it's a power under rather than a power over. When you come and you lift something up, as opposed to squash it down, guess what happens? And in this context, what Jesus is trying to encourage us to do is, please don't do these things because there's verses. <laughs> do these things because it's inside of you and because you've been with the one who loves and so when your brother wrongs you, you don't stay in anger over them. And I, you can hear what I'm saying, don't, because we do get angry. But the Bible says do not sin in your anger. Love your enemies, all of those things. So we often hear this thing is, uh, well, you better repent for God to be kind to you. 
But what does Romans 2.4 say? No, it's through the kindness and the goodness of God that people are led to repentance. What did Jesus say to the woman caught in adultery? Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. He didn't say go and sin no more. Therefore, then I won't condemn you. No, neither do I condemn you. Therefore. And so we are called into a life where we respond because we see the heart of God rather than we think that he's got us and we're trying to control him by emotion. So, okay, I better repent so God will forgive. No, God has forgiven, so let me come and repent. Let me ask you this question. And I know I asked it last week, but I want to ask it again. Is the presence of God right now, where you're sitting, is it different from when you were three years old? Is the presence of God right now different from when you're at home, when you're at work, when you are engaging the petrol attendant, when you're engaging the person at the, the checkout center at Pick and Pay, Checkers, Woolworths? Is the presence of God different? But why do we act differently? If Jesus was right there, would we treat that person differently? If Jesus was in the room, would you speak to your wife like that, gentlemen? Would you treat your wife like that? If Jesus was in the room, ladies, would you scream and shout and moan at your kids the way you do? I don't think we would. So what is the difference? Well, it's our awareness of God. The more we spend time with him, the more we are aware of his presence, of what he is saying, of what his heart is towards us and his heart is towards each one of us. And we need to practice his presence. Brother Lawrence, if you've read his book, was a monk who peeled potatoes and practiced the presence of God in peeling potatoes. And came with, had the most amazing encounters with God. Are we practicing the presence of God? Because verse 1 says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others and be seen by them. Otherwise, you will not have a reward in heaven. Now, what are these? Well, they're up there. But the acts of righteousness are giving, prayer, and fasting. Now, obviously, there's more than that. But Jesus uses these three as an encompassing blanket to come and kind of teach us what he wants to say around these various things. So number one, he says in verse two, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets like the hypocrites do. Now, why? <laughs> I don't know about you, but when I give something to somebody, I don't go, boo, 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 boo. what does that mean? Well, what it means is there was actually a trumpet-like looking thing that when you gave to the poor at the temple, it had this big trumpet-like trombone aspect to it. because, And then it got thinner and thinner. And what you did is when you put your coins and your gold and your silver in there, it would go down to the bottom and nobody could get their hand in there. And what the people would do who really wanted to be seen is they kind of would throw it from the other side of the room. So when it hit the trumpet, it would go, dang, 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 dang. And everyone look around and say, oh, geez, Gary's just given some. And Jesus saying, don't do that. Go in and put it in gently. So that's what it's saying here. All right. So don't announce it as hypocrites do in the synagogues on their way and by, to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now there's two words, well two words that have a root word the word righteousness and generosity have the same root word. <laughs> so you can call yourself whatever you want to, but don't call yourself a follower of Jesus if you're not a generous person and if you're greedy and if you are just hoarding everything for yourself. Because righteousness, tzedek, and generosity, tzedakah, 
are basically from the same root word. Am I right, Glenn, our resident Hebraic scholar? In, Je in Jeremiah 22:16, it says, He defended the cause of the poor and the needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? In our generosity, we display our knowledge of the one who's epitome, who everything about him is the one who gives, who is generous. God came and Jesus came and gave his life to a people that couldn't give anything back to him. Are we giving? Are we generous? Are we doing those things even when we get nothing in return? And even when there is no scope to get anything in return? Secondly, prayer. Verse 5, it says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites who love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their full reward. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees you and sees what is done in secret, He will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you even ask him. And then he goes on and I'll describe. But here's the thing is, part of what we need to do is be doing praying in secret. The understanding of prayer from an Hebraic sense is not to use words and not to bring your needs. So let's take our needs and our words out of our prayers. What's left? Therefore, a dumb, mute person can pray as effectively as I can. But our Western mindset is, no, we come and we just give God this shopping list of things he needs to do. Do it by Thursday, please, and we go away. And when we come back, we say, God, why didn't you do anything? Oh, why must I serve you? You're not even listening to what I'm saying. No, no, you just now become the center of the universe when actually you know God is. So he goes on to say, this is how you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on heaven as it is on earth. And again, from our Western mindset, we look at that and we go, okay. But from an Hebraic mindset, this is what it means. My Father, who is as close to me as the air I breathe, I stop and I become aware of you. I wonder if that was our prayer life, how different our lives would be. We stop and we just become aware of God. That prayer isn't this moment where we go, oh, guys, uh, on Wednesday at 6 o'clock, we come in to pray. Now, I'm not saying we don't do that. It's an and here. But sometimes that's all we do. Oh, we have king conversations this morning, and, and it's going to start at 8.30. So be here at 8.30, and then we're going to pray at 9. So we have this moment and this event. As opposed to, no, why don't we stop? What's brilliant, I don't know if you've seen with these uh, Apple Watches now, if anyone has got one, they actually stop you and say, breathe. I don't know whether it's because I'm anxious or not. I actually think it is because I've realized the moments when I'm stressed, it tells me to breathe. But it gets you to stop and it gets you to breathe for a minute. Okay. God, I'm going to stop and become aware of you for 30 seconds, a minute. God, you're around me. Yes, God, I want to wring that guy's neck. Help me not wring his neck. taxi drove past me on Thursday but came from the wrong lane and almost took me out and I hooted and I screamed 
and about kilometer down the road, the back wheel of the taxi comes off and smacks two guys on the side of the road. And I said, God, I'm sorry, because I thought I brought that on, you know, because I cursed the taxi. I'm just kidding, but okay, we'll move on. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But the thing is, when we what, we, what Jesus says in John 17 is, he says, if you remember the text, that's what the text I shared a couple of weeks ago, when he talks about God, show me your glory, glorify me even more like it was before. But in the middle of that, there's this text in verse 6 that says, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave out in this world. And here's the thing is, what you hallow in secret, you will manifest in public. Let me say that again. What you hallow in secret, what will manifest in public. If you're a fearful person, in secret, what do you think will ultimately come out? <laughs> if you're a person who fears failure in secret, what do you think will manifest in the public? If you're a person who finds yourself allowing your thoughts to go down place and you allow yourself to go into a place of depression, what will manifest in public? So what are we doing? What are we doing in those moments? Do you think a man gets up in the morning and decides he's going to commit adultery that day and goes ahead. No, for weeks, months, maybe years, there's a meditation around that. There's thinking about it. And then he goes, oh, he has an opportunity because the opportunity arises and the enemy will make sure there's an opportunity and he will take it. So let me ask you this question. Who are you when there is no expectation for reward and no expectation of punishment? Who are you? When there is no expectation of reward and no expectation of punishment. Thirdly and lastly, fasting. It says in verse 16, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. If they disfigure their faces and show you that they are fasting. Now that's Louise. When she fasts, this is her. Her face is down in the dumps and it's disfigured. And I'm just teasing. Truly I tell you. They have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will be obvious to others that you're fasting. Okay, for my teenage son, that would be quite difficult, the washing pot. But only to your father, who is unseen, and your father, who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. Now, here's the, here's the thing again. There are many preachers out there saying, no, in the New Testament, you don't need to fast. No more fasting. I said last week that what they are finding, go, go Google it. That fasting itself and, and fasting on water not only combats cancer, but actually kills cancer cells. <laughs> there's Nikki. She's the nutritionist. She's nodding her head. But go Google it. I went and Googled it yesterday. I was like, wow, that's actually, there's massive articles on it. So here's the thing is what we do is we often say, no, the Sabbath is, is Old Testament. No, no, yes, the, the Sabbath in terms of keeping it the way that the, uh, the Jews did, yes, that's gone. That's what it says in Colossians chapter 2. There's no more blood moon, all these celebrations, Sabbath, da, da. But God showed as he created this world, work six, rest one. Work six, rest one. If you're not going to rest, you're going to break down. Then it says, okay, fasting. If you fast, don't go and show it to the world. So it's not saying don't fast. And it's not saying do fast. But there's a pattern in it that as human beings, if, I think if we fasted regularly, I think we'd be healthier. So what I'm trying to say, intrinsically, God is saying to us that part of our fasting is going to benefit us like our Sabbath will benefit us. Take some time out. As much as a Sabbath is a step of faith saying, 
okay, God, I'm not going to look at my work, and for that day, you're going to take care of it. The manna from heaven, two, two lots fell down on the sixth day so that they had for the seventh day so they could take their Sabbath. But fasting is the same thing. Is we don't fast to go without. Okay, Gary, what do you mean? Well, well let's have a quick, quick look at how what God said in Isaiah 58. And coming to a close. This is, is this the kind of fast that I've chosen for you? Only a day for people to humble themselves? It is only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes. Is that what you call a fast? A day of acceptability to the Lord. So saying to, saying to us, okay, God is saying in Isaiah 58, so hold on a second. So what you want to do is you want to fast just to say that you fasted. Just to go without food. Then he goes on and he says this. Is not this the kind of fast that I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice. To untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free. To break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? And to provide for the poor. For the wanderer and, and provide shelter. When you see the naked to clothe them. And not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. When then... If you do all of that, then the light, remember the light that we spoke about two weeks ago, the light will break forth from the dawn and your healing will come quickly. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear, will be your rear God. That's just summarized my whole last three preachers. Is that when we do things out of the right motive of our hearts, that the fasting that was in the Old Testament wasn't to go without the fasting was to become aware of those around you and see that that person doesn't have any clothes. That person doesn't have any food. I've just lost my appetite because I see what they're going through. Let me take the food that I was going to eat and give it to them. It had nothing to do about going, oh, jeez, I haven't had coffee for three days. I've got a headache. Oh, I've got to get through this. And the life I search is doing this fast. I'm a word. Oh, I'm going to have a great steak on Friday, gee. No, it's to step back. <laughs> wow, let me just become aware of those around me. Not like I said two weeks ago, we come to church and we step over those who are naked and need clothing. We step over those who need food. We step over those who are oppressed and who need release. So, fasting, giving, and prayer. When we do it, it actually benefits us. That's the crazy thing. We think we're giving away, but we get way more in return. And I think I've explained that quite adequately. So let me finish off with these questions, and then I'm done. Where are you practicing generosity? How is your prayer life in secret? Now, some people say, well, I can't feel God. Well, maybe you should start practicing His presence and start becoming aware of Him. Then you will feel Him. If you had to step in front of Jesus today, what are you doing for the needs of others in secret? Where are your motives? My question would be, do you become angry when you don't get noticed? Second, lastly, will you allow God into the dark places in your heart to deal with these things? And lastly, there's anyone or anything in your life that you're in bondage to or has the risk of becoming a creator in your life? The question is, is if, you, if, if you don't want to share that with anybody, if, you don't, if that secret is too big to share with anybody, 
then you're in bondage and more than likely that thing is your creator. That thing is your idol. That thing is going to drive you. That thing is going to determine who you are. So why don't we take one minute a day to become aware of God? Why don't we take a moment every day to look where we can be generous? Why don't we take a moment in the day to look at the plight of the poor and see where we can assist in that process? And like I said earlier, all those things done in secret start to manifest there into the public and touch people's lives. Ladies and gentlemen, we are called to rule and reign. It's already been set. Jesus was crucified before the creation of this world. Let's step into it as we go into 2017 and become that which we already are.